This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This pine tar for breakfast is brought to you by Campos Deli. Best cheesesteaks in Philadelphia. Look, today... I'm taking it to storyteller himself, Frank Kopenbarger, longtime Phillies clubhouse guy and traveling secretary, right here on Pine Tower for Breakfast. What up, and welcome to another episode of Pie Talk for Breakfast. I am your host, Kevin Franzen, the third wheel of the Franski in L.A. broadcast booth. That is right. Uh, today, um, I'm, I just really want to take it back to a guy when I was here in Philadelphia that uh, had been around... Oh, that would have been, yeah, Kerry the One, a long time before I came here. Uh, it's Frank Kopenbarger, and head clubhouse, uh, team traveling secretary since 1999, retired this past year. Uh, one of my favorite people in all the game, and it has nothing to do with other than our friendship. Uh, I spent a lot of time with him just hanging out in his office, talking to him, not asking for things. Uh, I have told you guys a, you know, from the beginning – Part of my thing uh, with with the Phillies has been since 06 when I was with the Giants, my love for the city was then. And my favorite place to play was then. And then you you read up on stories, you, you go back on the 93 teams. So it would be, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes of my day every day wanting to go in and talk, talk to Frank. And it was mostly about old teams here. Uh, guys that he had been around in the Cardinals organization before he got over to the Phillies, uh, talking about Ozzie Smith, um, you know, and so there, there's so many things that we can go on, but I wanted to get him on because he's just a, a great human. And uh, without further ado, <laughs> and here he is, storyteller, longtime head clubhouse manager, tr- team traveling secretary. I mean, what were you, the entertainment emeriti or emeritus? At the very a little end. all that, probably and yeah, yeah. You the you are the holder of a few rings, a watch in person. You know we could say, uh, yeah, and uh, a lot of great stories. Freight Copenbarger, thank you for joining me right here on Pine Tower for breakfast. Oh, glad to be on your show. Well, look here. Here's the deal. There's uh, there's people in this game that uh, I I think are you're invaluable. Like everything that you've done is the most selfless thing. Uh, you treat people how you want to be treated and how they treat you. You, you kind of, you know, you reciprocate. And if people care about you, I, I really feel like, I don't know. It, it, there, there's just something about a, a relationship, a friendship between a player and a clubhouse guy that, just doesn't even it, it doesn't register. It's never player clubhouse guy. It's friends, and that's who you are to me. And it's hard to describe you because it, it's just like I people get this weird connotation, like oh the clubhouse guy. You're like yeah, they make the things go. They make everything click. Like that that that's that's how I've always seen you. How do you see yourself, Frank? I want to know that. Well, you know, I, I knew I was a behind-the-scenes guy, but uh, I also knew that uh, had a lot of a lot of details to take care of to to make things run smoothly. So, so the team and the players in particular could uh, do their job on the field and not have to worry about, you know, all the all the little things uh, going on uh, in the background. Yeah, but the things in the back. I mean, you you've seen fights, you've seen you know 
people crying together, you know, over or over tragedies and all that stuff. And, and you've had stories and stories that you can never tell. I mean, there, there's so much that goes on that I feel like lies in your lap, like lies in, a, in, in not only, you know, clubhouse uh, assistance laps, but like the, the head clubhouse guy think I'm not saying secrets, but just things that just stay within the team. And I feel like, I mean, <laughs> you were here in 93. There's things that have still not come out that people don't know about and will never know about because why? Because everyone just kind of, that's ours. And, and you're a big part of that. Like, does that, is that make you smile inside knowing that there's like, there's things that people just don't know about that you can cherish about certain players, certain teams that, that just absolutely just, they, they drop these great memories for you. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of, you know, been a lot of years and a lot of, a lot of great experiences and uh, worked with a lot of, uh, a lot of great guys and certainly lots and lots of memories and stories. My wife gets tired of hearing them now. But see, like, that's the stuff that needs to be said. Like, it, now it's the cohesive bond uh, between you and your wife. Now you get to tell her the stories and it's like, okay, see, like, I want to be the fly on the wall. Like, I want to hear some of the stories, and I know you can't tell them all. But let's let's get this back into order. So 1989, you came over to Philadelphia. Lee Thomas brought you over from the St. Louis Cardinals. So let's go to the St. Louis Cardinals days. You were a bat boy in the minor leagues to clubhouse manager to a that clubby head clubhouse guy. How did you get started in this? And was it something that you always wanted to do? Well, um, I love baseball. My dad introduced me to the game of baseball and I, I loved it. Um, you know, as a kid playing, you know, little league and, you know, all the youth leagues and stuff like that. But, uh, in my hometown in Decatur, Illinois, we had a, a minor league team of the San Francisco giants. Ironically, I know that's close to you. And, uh, we were in the Midwest league and, I got an opportunity to be a bat boy there when I was 11 years old. I was in fifth grade, and uh, I just absolutely loved being around that ballpark. Uh, My grandparents lived about three blocks from the ballpark, so I'd been hanging around there anyway for a couple of years, and I guess I bugged them so much they finally gave me a chance to go to work, and uh, I haven't done much since then except work around the ballpark. (laughs) my entire life what was it not only that like how how the proximity to it and the love for baseball but there had to be something else that like drew you even closer and and wanting more right like wanting to be that bat boy what was it well i you know it was i had the coolest summer job in town without a doubt and you know i had a uniform on i was down there in the dugout with the players i got to know all the guys and you were kind of a part of the team and and it was just exciting, you know, especially for a kid. I mean, looking back, you know, we had a, a, a ballpark that was literally falling apart. But I thought it was the greatest place in the world. In, in my world back then, you know, that was Yankee Stadium or, you know, Bush Stadium in St. Louis or wherever. I mean, that was that was had to be the finest ballpark in all the land in my mind, you know. In Decatur, Illinois. I mean, like, yeah. It, it, what's funny is that you've always told me this story about a a close friend of mine, uh, his wife, and uh, you were the kid that was sitting in the back seat during Driver's Ed, and it just happens to be this guy was one of my bosses in San Francisco on the radio back there, and it's like, are you serious? Like, how small a place is this? Well, it's, it was actually about 100,000 people back in those days. It's a little bit less than that now. But, uh, yeah, that's a true story. The <laughs> uh, girl that I learned how to drive a car with, uh, with our driver's training, uh, ended up marrying your buddy, who's a big guy at, uh, in the San Francisco radio station. And his, so, And his son is the, the lead producer for Minnesota Twins baseball as well. Yeah, which pretty amazing. Um <laughs> You know, are there memories like when you're a little kid and first getting in this? So it starts when you're in fifth grade. Are there guys that just linger on in your mind going, 
man, that guy, that guy was amazing to me. Not only did I like, you know, look up to the kid, the guy, but like, I absolutely love how he treated me. And then vice versa. Is there guys that you remember from the very first time that you were a bat boy that were just absolute jerks? Well, I don't remember too many jerks back then. I mean, I just looked up to these guys so much, you know, if they were saying something about me or, or, uh, anything negative i guess i didn't hear any of it i was i was just so happy to be around them we had uh there's two things that that stick out in my mind from the first year i did it which was believe it or not 1967 um the very first game i ever bat boyed we were playing against the wisconsin rapids twins which obviously was a minor league team of the minnesota twins and Opening day, a guy named Charlie Manuel went four for five and uh, and hit a hit a home run and beat us in the very first pro game that I ever actually officially really? worked in. And you know, forty years later, I'm standing next to him as we're about ready to win the World Series. Standing next to him in the dugout, it's pretty amazing. Charlie was actually the triple crown winner in the in the Midwest League that year. Did you ask him? Was, if you, did you ever ask him if you remembered that you know hitting that home run or? or I, I, I can I can absolutely tell you that when he became our manager, one afternoon I went in his office. I said, you know, I said uh, I told him where I was from and everything, and I said uh, the very first game that I ever was a bat boy, you um, you were the star of the game for Minnesota for the Wisconsin Rapids Twins, and and you had I think you were four for five, and and you hit a home run, and he he knew the pitcher and what he looked like and everything, and you know hundreds of home runs ago for him, you know counting major and minor leagues and Japan and everything else, and and I I had a scrapbook I still have it to this day from that season, as I tell everybody my dad kept a, a scrapbook all all summer long and it's full of pictures of me with with the players and you know scorecards and articles out of the local newspaper and uh you know my dad thought well this is a great experience for my son this is a one you know, once in a lifetime thing and you know i don't think he or i either one ever had any idea that what we were getting ourselves into it turned out to be you know, my life, basically, uh, my working life. So, uh, anyway, I brought that scrapbook in and showed it to Charlie, oh, and he just that. loved it. I love that. I mean, yeah, that's, that's quite a story. And then it ends up being our, you know, he, our manager. He's your manager, and you're able to talk to him about that actual day. Absolutely. He, he, knew, he knew He remembered it all. And which is, see, I always have problems. So, like, a couple years ago, the uh, – the Cavaliers and, and LeBron James lose to the Golden State Warriors, my Warriors. And there's a game where, you know, LeBron in the last, like, 45 seconds, he recounts the entire, you know, scene and, like, what happens and what goes on. Everyone's like, this guy's a genius. And you're going, cool. Like, that's just what baseball players do, right? You remember things. Uh, you can remember pitch by pitch, and you're going, like, that. that's not – for me, that's not an ordinary right there. That, that, that's just yeah. an ordinary thing for, for any anyone that plays a, a, the game of baseball. So when you revert back to Charlie Manuel going to your very first game as a bat boy, and you're going, <laughs> how the hell does he remember that stuff? Seriously, though. Yeah. Like, he yeah. Probably uh, he, I, was, I, I knew he'd remember, you know, the game probably or, or – you know that summer in the league because he was so successful that year. But but for him to call out the pitcher's name is kind of funny. The pitcher was a guy named Jim Moyer who never made it to the major leagues or anything like that. But Charlie remembered his name immediately. And the funny thing is that Jamie Moyer's father's name is Jim Moyer. <laughs> that is so Not the same guy, but it really was funny. So from from there, I mean, like you get, what year is that? Nineteen sixty-seven. I I mean, I I don't even know that date. I mean, like. Well, you of course do, you I don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> so you 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 start there fifth grade, and then you move on, and 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 you know things start to happen, and you go to you know, where do you go? Milliken, isn't that right? 
I went to Millican University, which is right in my hometown. I never had any aspirations of working in baseball. Uh, I actually was going to be a teacher. And uh, I stayed in baseball. Yeah. (laughs) Man, the kids were lucky, too. I stayed in baseball. That's what I was referring to. (laughs) Right. But uh, I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. And um, I went to school for a couple years, and it, it just wasn't for me. And so I started writing letters to people, and uh, I actually got a job working in the, back in the Midwest League at Quad Cities. Uh, my aunt and uncle lived there. It's probably the only reason I was able to have a job, because they let me stay with them for nothing for the summer. And uh, I got my aunt there um, working for the Angels uh, farm team in Davenport, Iowa, and uh, then uh, the Angels farm director liked me, and he gave me a chance to come to Instructional League when the season was over, uh, and then uh, spring training the next year. And um, then I worked, like I said, I worked two years for them, and then the in Cardinals. Salinas. You yeah, absolutely I, I, worked in Salinas. Right down the road from you. Right down yeah. the road. I played at that park. Yeah. And then um, I was there two years. Chuck Cotier was our manager, and he ended up being a coach here with the Phillies. And he was a big league manager for Seattle for a while. And he he was really great to me. He took care of me, and he he showed me a lot of things that I didn't even know, you know, about the clubhouse and what you should do and all that. And and then um, and we're still friends to this day. And then the Cardinals put their AAA team in. Springfield, Illinois, which was 30 miles from my home, and uh, I needed a job, so I went over there, and uh, I convinced them to hire me, and I was with them there in Springfield, Illinois, in the American Association, which was before they moved to Louisville, and now they're in Memphis. They were in Springfield for four years, and uh, I got a chance to run the clubhouse there, and uh, a lot of the Cardinal brass used to come to watch their guys because it was only 90 miles from St. Louis. So I kind of got known a little bit. And then there was an opportunity uh, with the big league team to be an assistant. And uh, they called me and offered me the job. So that's how I got to St. Louis. And then, you know, worked there almost eight years and then got to know Lee Thomas because he was our minor league director. And uh, when he came as Philly's GM, six or eight months later, he called me and, uh, and offered me the opportunity to come to Philly and be the, the head equipment guy. Well, that's incredible. Like when, when you go over to the, the Cardinals in uh, 81 is your first season, you're the assistant, yeah. you're there for seven seasons, you get to be around some greats, uh, you win a World Series. You, we won one, and we went to two other ones. Yeah, I didn't want to bring up those other ones. But, well, that's but all right. The, going to the, like that's the thing is that like I've always had the problem with people like, oh, well, you didn't win one. It's like, does it matter? You you went you you, you absolutely get to the the, the final games mm-hmm. uh, of the season of this long season, and yes, it matters that you lose, but it doesn't take away from the fact that you were there. And no, and that was quite an experience. Huge for you later on because you're like, yeah, I've been here, done that. Even as a clubhouse guy, you're going, I've been here, done that. I've seen how guys react, how guys, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the the playoff, the playoff zone, right? Like guys may be different. I know how to react to them and and everything that's going on. No, I definitely think it helped me over the years. I mean, uh, the, those Cardinal uh, championship years, and then. When it came to Philly and, and we got in the World Series playoff and World Series in, in 93, you know, it definitely having been there helped a lot, knowing knowing how it would be, you know, because it's, it's totally different. So Now, I got um, a question. Because I, I know, yeah. you know, during those years in Ozzie Smith and, and you know, the, the Wizard and how good he was, yep. uh, still the yeah, same he best was. shortstop in my mind. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. Uh, but anyway, well, uh, I don't, I don't agree with you, but that's okay. Well, he, and Ozzy's a, Ozzy's a Cal Poly kid. All right. So, I, Hey, look, <laughs> that's the best part is there, there's no factual information on that. It's our eyes. It's the beauty right. of our eyes. Right. Yeah. So you grew up, I mean, we could talk about all the players that you deal with, 
But there's one guy, especially now in the world that I, I am in, in broadcasting, that was there and, and, and Jack Buck. Yep. Do you have any good stories about Jack Buck? Hey, I've been interviewed by him too, by the way. Okay, so, so you're like, in big company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not in good company. I'm like on a, I'm on the like the the thousandth page. Like that's page well, one. You start with Jack, Jack Buck. Buck. That is that is where it's at. Yeah, I got I got several good stories about him, but uh, a couple quick ones. Uh, he was really a nice man, really a good man, and I grew up listening to him on the radio. You know, because we were, as I said, you know, about 100 miles from St. Louis. So, car, you either a Cardinal or a Cub fan back in in, uh, in Decatur, Illinois, where I'm from. I was the only kid in town that was a San Francisco Giants fan because of my job with the, with yeah. the team and the players that moved up to the, you know, moved up and finally got to the big leagues in San Francisco. It was great for us to be able to follow them all the way through, you know? Yeah. So, so I liked the giants when I was a kid, but anyway, Jack Buck, I uh, used to listen to him all the time. And then, you know, for him to, for him to even know my name and say hello every day when he came in the clubhouse and stuff, when I first started, I mean, it was, that was a big thrill. And, um, a couple of stories, uh, about him. I mean, some, some stuff I can't tell you, you know, <laughs> it's like the clubhouse, but uh, there was a, a guy that I actually knew from back home that had played a few years in the minor leagues and with the Astros, and he got released. And so one day, he and his wife, I had no idea they were there, they slipped a note to the dugout guard to give to me. And it just said, we're at the game, would love to say hello after. This was in St. Louis. So... After the game, I went out by the dugout and looked around and saw the guy. Now, the guy's name's Pat Perry, all right? And he was a left-hand pitcher from, from back in central Illinois. And he had just been released a couple weeks before. Well, Pat, I said, you, you still want to try to play? He goes, yeah, but I don't know if anybody will pick me up. He had played like four or five years in the minor leagues and never got above A ball. So I said, well, I could say something to Lee Thomas. I, they got this team in Springfield. By then, it was a single-A team in Springfield. Yeah. I said, maybe, you know, and I know they're really trying to win the championship there this year. They were because it was the first year they went from triple-A to single-A, and the people in town back in Springfield weren't real happy about that. So they were really doing all they could to put a great team on the field. So I mentioned him to Lee Thomas, and Lee goes, look, as a favor to you, I'll have him have him go up there and and we'll have him throw for the manager. And if the manager likes him, I'll sign him for the rest of the season. But that's it. <laughs> well, he went up there and he helped him. And they ended up taking him to spring training the next year. And they were making their rosters near the end of spring training. And they were going to let him go. You know, he was an older guy, no prospect, whatever. And uh, the manager said, why don't you let me take Perry? By then, the guy that managed in Springfield, a guy named Dave Bialis, had gone to the next level up was Little Rock, Arkansas, in the Cardinal organization. And he said, why don't you let me take Perry? He goes, he did a good job for me last year. And he goes, look, a month from now, if he's not doing anything, we'll just let him go then. Well, he w he went there and he absolutely dealt. So a month about a month or six weeks after that, he was pitching in Louisville in AAA, and I think he started out like twenty seven straight scoreless innings out of the bullpen. Next thing you know, he's on the radar, <laughs> and he gets put on the Cardinals forty man roster. He eventually makes it to St. Louis. And Jack Buck loved that story. Every time he'd come in the game, he would say, you know, this is a guy from Taylorville, Illinois, that Frank Kobenbarger, who works in the Cardinal clubhouse, scouted and got the Cardinals to sign him. So he, Jack Buck was making me famous. Oh <laughs> like Pretty that, funny story. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Are you, I, I want another one. I want another one. Cause I'm gonna tell I'm gonna, I'm gonna text Joe these and and see what he he if he remembers them. 
Joe Buck? Yeah. Joe Buck will absolutely remember him, but I'm going to tell you something about Joe Buck. <laughs> I remember Joe Buck when he was a high school kid. Oh, and he that. used to come in the clubhouse with his dad, and he'd have his high school baseball uniform on, and, and every once in a while they would have like the Missouri State High School football playoff games down at Bush Stadium. And Joe Buck played for a, a, a high school called Country Day in St. Louis. He was on the football team, and I can still see Joe Buck in the clubhouse with his shoulder pads and his jersey on. <laughs> and, you know, here he is, a big famous broadcaster now. Isn't it incredible? But, like he's, yeah. He's, he's so he's a high school kid. But but not only that, it's like I, I just the depth that he goes into in, in, in yeah. his sport, you know, and it doesn't make it just I, I love the fact that like it, whether he's loved or hated and people hate him because he, he, he speaks the truth on the air. It's like, Oh my God, like get over yourselves. This guy's amazing. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, Joe, you um, want so many stories of so yeah. many guys, but like, think about it. Like Jack yeah. Buck, the, I think the coolest thing was one year when, after I was here in Philly, uh, we went to St. Louis near the end of the season and, and Jack, you know, was doing Monday night football on the radio with Hank Stram. And he said to me just one day, he goes, Frank, uh, I, uh, I'm going to be up in Philly in about three weeks. I got the Eagles and the Houston Oilers. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I know they're coming in. It was a Monday night game. He goes, you want to come to the game? I said, yeah. He goes, well, you can invite one friend, and you can sit in the booth with Hank and I. Wow. It was unbelievable. Wow. You know, so I, when they came to town, you know, I, he got a hold of me, and I, I met him at the hotel and got the pass I needed to get in, and we literally sat right behind them. That was one of the coolest experiences I ever had. Well, I was just going to say, like, for me, like, I look at these guys um, as broadcasters and, and – I'm not. Le- I, it, this is not to leave anybody out, but you you think about Jack Buck and Harry Callis, right? And and you could go with Richie Ashburn, but Richie more known for his playing, being a Hall of Famer than anything, right? I mean, that that to me is is, is huge. Uh, what? I'm not saying a difference, but do you feel like when you're around a guy like Harry and you're around a guy like Jack Buck, like that's the old school way of doing things, but they. They walked around with a confidence. They walked around, and everyone knew them and were a part of their lives. Like, it, do you find it to be different now? Like, I mean, I'm not saying like I'm a part of people's lives, but like, I don't, ha- you know, myself, Scott, you know, Tom McCarthy. We don't have the same cachet as a Harry Callis or a Jack Buck. Yeah, but you might someday. I mean, that's just years and years of uh, of experience. Like, you know, generations of Phillies fans, you know, grew up listening to a radio, whether it be in the car or out by the, you know, in the backyard or whatever, listening to Harry Callis and the same thing in the Midwest, you know, Jack Buck. And it seemed like every, uh, every team had like that one voice that was pretty, pretty famous, you know, like Vin Scully and, and those kind of situations, um, and those guys lasted for years, you know, decades. So, you know, they were part of people's lives. It's a little bit different now. There's there's a lot more games on, and they're on t- every game's on TV, yeah. you know. Where back in those days, not every game was on TV. So people listened to the radio a lot more, you know, than they, they do now. And then they also uh, – you know, the just everything, the social media, just is so much bigger now. But yeah. I think, you know, we got, you know, like yourself, you know, you're you're still kind of starting out around here. Oh, but, yeah. you know, Fransky all of a sudden's got, you know, 10 or 11 years, maybe more than that even. And, you know, Tom McCarthy and they're, you guys are forming your own, uh, your own following now. Yeah. And that's the best part. But I mean, like you. You've got to see two legends, like and be around them. See the because yeah. like fan bases. You talk about two of maybe the best, if not all of in all sports between the Cardinals and the Phillies fans. Uh, I'm not saying obsession, but like Harry Callis was a part of the ears, a part of you know like everyone's mind can you can hear it still. 
You can even oh, yeah. hear his voice. Uh, Jack Buck, for all the Cardinals fans, you understand what it's like to be around legends like that, not only mm-hmm. from fans' perspective, but from your perspective and from players' perspective who looks at who look at all them different. You know, when you talk about the players, that's a, that's a good comment. Like, we had a pitcher here in Philadelphia, I don't know, 20-some years ago, a guy by the name of Robert Person. And uh, he was actually from St. Louis, Missouri, grew up there. So we're playing in St. Louis one day, and I was outside in the hallway. This was at the old ballpark in St. Louis, and talking to Jack Buck one afternoon. And person is coming back down the hallway from the weight room. Now, at that point, Jack Buck, uh, you know, his eyesight was starting to go a little bit and things like that. Some of his health was declining, and person's walking towards us he's about 30 feet away and he catches my eye and he gives me introduce me to him you know kind of mouths it out and so he stopped and i said jack this is uh one of our pitchers robert person so jack stands up shakes his hand and he looks at person and he goes oh yeah he goes is your dad still the athletic director out at Beaumont High School? Come on. I thought person was going to fall over. Come on. <laughs> he do. I mean, you know, it's kind of like Vince Scully and all the stories he tells. And those guys just knew their stuff. And Harry Callis was the same way. You know, they knew they knew information. They talked to people. They read stuff. And they were they were – that's what made him so good. Well, that, that's why, like, I've kind of tried to design this uh, this scorecard, this electronic scorecard that all you have to do is kind of load in the lineup and then uh, you're done. You don't, you're not looking down at your scorebook for the entire day trying to write things down because I feel like going back to almost an old school way with, like, Mike Kruko or Dwayne Kuyper with me is their way of talking to guys. That was their stories, talking to guys. Not, you know, yeah. going upstairs and for two hours you're writing in your book all the stats and stuff. I want more time to tell stories, to be able to, you know, ask guys what's going on. What are you working on? Give me something good. And then we go from there. I mean, that I think that's the lost. Not I'm not going to say a lost start because people do such a great job of it. But like it's getting to that point because there's so much information out there. Like you're, you're, you're instead of that interaction, that human interaction, you're not doing it as much. No. Well, you, you've got a, a little advantage because you were a player and a very recently were a player. So, you know, you talking to another player is a little bit different than, I mean, even Harry Callis or Jack Buck, you know, I mean, it just, you've got a different, you know, a different voice and, and uh, the fact that, you know, you've got that playing experience. So that, that's that's bound to help you, I think, too. I hope so. I hope. No one cares about me, all right, Frank? No one cares about me. Hang on for a sec. Let me go to Campos and Campos Deli. Yeah, we got a little quick message from them. It's game time, and you're heading to Citizens Bank Park to catch your fight and fills, but you want the great taste of a Campos cheesesteak. That's easy. Make sure you visit Campos on Ashburn Alley. Whether you want a traditional cheesesteak or kick it up a notch with their signature sandwich, The Heater, you can get the same award-winning steaks that you'll find at their 214 Market Street location in Old City. For the best cheesesteak in Philly, visit Campos in Ashburn Alley, Campos at 214 Market Street, and CamposDeli.com. Philadelphia's cheesesteak since 1947. Welcome back to Pine Taw for Breakfast. I am your host, Kevin Franzen, at Kevin Franzen on Twitter. I am here, lucky to have my friend and longtime clubhouse, head clubhouse manager, Frank Kopenbarger. All right, so 1989, you're over with the Phillies. You come over, and it is Mike Schmidt's last year. Uh, and, and, I mean, obviously a uh, – I mean, that's a tough time around, right? I mean, because you yeah. have a, a legendary Hall of Fame player that, that's ending it. Um, yeah, and he did it during the season, too. In fact, in fact, what was that like? I want to say it was like around Memorial Day. Okay. Ironically. What, what was that like? Because, I mean, obviously you've been around so many greats already in your life. Uh, it, but you're, you're, you're coming in, you're new. 
but you, you you're around this and you see this and you feel this because that that's a feeling, right? Like that's a whole clubhouse, that's a whole fan base that's that's dealing with it. You're dealing with it in a very new light. Yeah. And I you know, I didn't know him that well. Mm-hmm. I'd only been around him a couple months, you know, spring training and the first few weeks of the season. But uh, you know, he was really really professional uh to work with and, and when he when he retired, um you know, he sat there in San Diego one one night, and uh, after he retired, he stayed like another day before he flew back to Philly. And he actually signed a baseball to all the people on the team in the clubhouse, you know, me and the trainers and, you know, all that. And he wrote a little message on each one, and, you know, he wrote, thanks for your professionalism on mine, and I really cherish that, you know. Uh, to ma- have made an impression on knew. on a guy like that, you know, <laughs> what's that? If he only knew. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was on my best behavior. It was the first of year, course, of course. <laughs> but you know what's funny is that, like, I mean, the the guys that were on that first team that that you were with in Philadelphia, and you look at the, the Darren Daltons, the the John Crux. Um, I look at well, Crux wasn't here yet. It. Jason Grimsley Crux- made his debut that year. Yeah, he was yeah. Cruck, I Cruck came along a little debut. later. I got a hit What's off that? him in 15 years later in my debut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, it was interesting. We went through a lot of players. We didn't have a very good team. So uh, we had lots and lots of faces coming through the door all the time. But uh, it, was, it was exciting, you know, exciting to be at a different place and get a chance to for me to, you know, have my own clubhouse, so to speak, instead of being the assistant. Yep. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it was great. It was great. You know, well, as I, mean, I said, the rough one, year one thing, on the field, but it was fun. The one thing you go through those rosters and there's a, there's a couple names that are not there and then you keep on going. And then the whirlwind 1993. Yeah. Larry Anderson. And he's back. <laughs> Ladies, yeah, I, I want some LA stories from that 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 the first time. Cause did you know him before? No, I didn't. Okay, so when he comes in, I want to know your first reaction because everyone when they you hear Larry Anderson and a former teammate of his, they light up. And I I, I want to know from your perspective what it was like when this guy comes in first time for spring training, you know, and he's back, and you know the presence that he had and and, and just. What, what he brought to you? Well, he, he fit in right away because he had already been here once before and he knew a lot of people around here and, uh, you know, on and off the field people. And he got along with everyone. I mean, that's one of his his best traits is he's, he's friendly to everybody, you know. So uh, now I replaced the guy that was uh, Philly's clubhouse manager for many years. And so, you know, I think uh, – in some ways you, they, you got to prove yourself a little bit, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm, one good Larry story was, um, around that 93 time, uh, the players were hanging around in spring training one day and, you know, we're all trying to get the work done. You know, we're, oh, yeah. we're trying to get, get out of there as a lot, you know, you got 60 players and not as many, uh, staff and stuff as they do nowadays, but I mean, the days were long, you know, and, and it's late in the day and we're trying to, trying to get going and they wanted some beer. Well, we didn't have any beer around there. So, so Larry wanted me to send one of the clubhouse guys out for beer. And I kind of resisted cause I, I needed all the help we could get back then. We didn't have as many clubhouse guys either. Yeah. And, and I wanted to get our work done so we could go home and, you know, drink a beer somewhere other than Jack Russell stadium. (laughs) And, uh, so Larry said, I'll do his work if you send him out. No way. And I said, all right, I'm going to take you up on that. So he was cleaning catching gear. So it was Phil Sheridan. I believe who's now the boss over there in the clubhouse that we sent to the store to get some beer and Larry cleaned up all that catching gear while Phil was out going to, to buy the beer for the guys. People <laughs> Larry, people. Larry was actually a player clubhouse guy in Reno, Nevada one year. 
he told me that story, and it'd be a good story for you sometime when you're talking to oh, him. Oh, I love it. I had he, you had he, set, my, in my first year in Pro Bowl, our, our guy quit randomly <laughs> in San Jose, uh, so we didn't have a, a backup, uh, yeah. no assistance or anything, and so I took the, the reins, and uh, we did shifts for four days until they got us somebody. There you go. And it was, I mean, like, I felt like I was the head clubby for a few days. We had better <laughs> food. I was bringing in better food. You know, living at yeah. home, it was like, let's barbecue some what? stuff up and take you it Your mom like, to cook. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, it was uh, it was pretty funny. But Larry, Larry, you know, he used to tell me that we did all the laundry. We did the shoes. They, they got paid clubhouse dues from their teammates, everything. Well, that's the one thing I, I, I think about with L.A. is that, like, it, the love and appreciation for people, right? It, and and it's not about just teammates. It's about the uh, the clubhouse guys, the trainers, the doctors, the you know the the ushers, anyone and everyone that is with the Phillies. That man loves. Or if he doesn't love you, he's going to pretend and he's going to make you feel good. That's at least what he's going to do. And th- and that to me is a trait that. Um, I wish we had more of from players, right? Yeah. Well, me too. And uh, I, I think it's almost a lost art of just being a good person <laughs> um, all the time. And, and and to me, L.A. is beloved not because just of the play. It's because of who he was on and off the, the field. Off the field, he was fun. Obviously, the, the stories that go on and on. But, like, just – that's what he was, and that's who he is uh, as a broadcaster, as he was as a player. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, that's he's he's very well liked around here. You know, people people uh, listen to him and don't even know him; they they just like him. You know, you can just you can just tell that that they like him and they they want to get to know him or want to talk to him or whatever and. And uh, he's 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 good to people. Well, hey, I've told I've told the story, and for several years they used to ask me to uh, talk to our minor league prospects in January when they'd bring them in for the seminar about being good to the you know being good to people and befriending the clubhouse guy and the trainer and the traveling secretary and how how much that w- will make your job as a player easier that used to be part of what i would go into and it wasn't really that i needed them to be my friend it this was to help them to succeed better yeah when they when they got there and uh i used to use larry as my example i'm like larry anderson hasn't thrown a pitch in 15 years and i can tell you when that bus pulls up at you know shea stadium or cincinnati or wherever it is that the visiting clubhouse guy is likely to leave whatever player he's currently working with to go see if Larry needs anything. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's kind of the best way I can put it. Well, I mean, look, I, I was lucky enough. When my brother, uh, before he passed away, he was the basketball manager at Santa Clara for four years. Yeah. Uh, and he and I were, were, you know, like brothers. We're just super close and, and everything. And he always told me, he goes, make sure that if you have a, you know, if you get to play, you know, college baseball, that your equipment manager, you don't have to force friends with him, but talk to him. He's a human being. They yeah, do just everything. Be respectful. They do everything that is what no one wants to do, and it's underappreciated. But he goes, let me tell you one thing. We matter when it comes to winning. And I said, why is that? He goes, because we do everything to keep the stress off you. Like if the, if everything yeah. is out, if everything's ready, that is one less thing that you have to worry about. That's true. And and from there, I mean, it, I wouldn't say it was ingrained because I felt like that's how we were brought up just as individuals uh, from my parents. Right. But, I mean, from – you know, being lucky enough to be around Murph, Mike Murphy with, with, with the San Francisco Giants for years, the legend – uh, mm-hmm. to yourself, uh, to Wally. I mean, there, there. you go on and on, but the, the thing is, is you befriend people if they're good people. And you're like one of my favorite people. Not It doesn't matter about like, oh, well, I worked with them 
oh yeah we were in the same place like i would i i had some of my favorite talks just walking into the clubhouse sitting in your office and just talking to you yeah and i appreciated that time too you know you know that that kind of thing uh means a lot to me you know that people care enough to spend 10 minutes with you and talk about something that might have nothing to do with i need shoes or i need bats or you know i need another hotel room and I want to, you know, I want to, I, so. I was trying to think, I asked the man, I was like, I don't really remember, or I was telling her, I was like, I don't really remember asking Frank for a whole lot. I would just go no, in your office and, and I think we would, we would talk about, I would ask you more questions about like the 93 team then yeah. because I, I don't know. I was enamored by like guys well, like you probably followed him then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's everything, you know, you, you've talked about. Like one year we were in Texas on opening day. And Cliff Lee was opening day starter. And uh, I don't know. You know how it is on opening day. You know, the, you know, the, the, yeah. the listeners don't, but you do. And, you know, everybody's hugging each other and stuff and wishing everybody well before the, the season and, you know, shaking hands and stuff before you even go out for the intros. And, and, uh, one of the players, I don't remember who it was, said, Frank, how many opening days is this for you? And I said, uh, this is number 33, Major League. <laughs> and Cliff looked up and said, I'm not even that old. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you need to remember that once in a while. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, it was man. a perfect opportunity, you know. Oh. And that's, so, and that's a part of it, like the ribbing. Like my favorite is is guys being able, you know, because you hear stories about you know players giving the assistant clubhouse guys, uh, just joss them around, just talking a little crap to them, and 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 giving you know a hard time, and then you earn your stripes on that whole thing. And but my favorite is when the head clubhouse guys, because usually it's not like a, a young guy. It's someone that's been around the game for a while that understands like, like the makings of it, that understands that I can, I can talk crap to this guy. He's going to give it back and speak good banter. Like that's the stuff that I miss. And I love Right. Well, me too. And it started, it started to uh, not be like that the last few years I worked. So, you know, in, in some ways, it started, you know, what I knew had started to end anyway, as far as like, you know, the, the atmosphere and the camaraderie and the clubhouse and all that. And part, a lot of it's because, you know, so many guys are looking at their phone and their iPad and they're sort of in their own world. They're not really, you know, openly talking to their own, even their own teammates. Oh yeah. Uh, when you look at just the way the clubhouse is, is like okay so 89 you come over and you know not a very good team but you start nope. seeing the makings of it with certain guys in there with, with, with dutch and, and john crook and lenny dykstra right i mean you get you get some guys that are in there uh you add in larry anderson in 93 few others that make this thing go and and you're seeing this when you know that that 07, 08, 09, the, the run that the, the Phillies have had in recent years or, you know, now 10-plus years ago, uh, was it the same feeling that you had? Like, even though that you'd been here for a while, like, you could see the buildup and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, here we go. I, I know that this – it's not just about the play on the field. You could see the interaction in the clubhouse. You're going, yep, these guys, they're going to do it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um you know, I, I got to experience a run in St. Louis. So I knew what it was like to do it more than just one year, you know, not to yep. bash the 93 guys, but they weren't very good before or after. But that one year, it all came together, you know. And uh, and they stayed, you know, pretty much injury-free, which helped them a lot. Yeah. But uh, you got to have some luck going for you on that as well as, you know, guys playing well. But uh, when – when it started to uh, come together, I mean, we sniffed uh, getting in the wild card a couple times and came up short. And then, you know, we we ended up winning the division in 07 and, and you know, got knocked right out of the playoffs quickly by the Rockies. But you could just tell that th this was going to be our time. And the players, you know, 
grew with each other and, and their experience too, because, you know, they, they'd experienced all these things together. So many of them played together in the, in the minor leagues coming up that it was pretty special. So a lot of these guys, you know, were friends with each other as well as, you know, on the field teammates. And, and that, that was a good thing. Oh yeah. And I, like, I think that's a, like a lot of our conversations that we had in, in your office. We're about like just the inner like just the inner workings of a, of a team and, and what you've seen. And, you know, cause I, I look, I came in 12 towards the end of July um, I had known you for now two spring trainings, uh, before that. And I don't know. I just, I, I was, I was so enamored with the franchise coming over, playing against them, seeing how great they were. And we were still in it. Like we were still in it up until, you know, the Braves game where Chipper hits his last home run against us. Like, we were really in it the whole time, but you could just sense like, you're like, just, there's something off. Like there's not that, that. We weren't a team like we were we were there. We had good talent, but we weren't like a, a cohesive unit. And it was funny. You knew it. I don't think every all of us knew it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I definitely knew it. I could feel it. I could see it. And uh, I could, you know, I, I just felt it. So, right, with, unfortunately, with, but, you with, know. With all your years it. with the Phillies and um, – it's a hard one because it, it, it's this is one of those questions that I'm not having you try to choose your favorites. But if you were to have a top three, right, and it has to do with play on the field, leadership in the clubhouse, uh, and and the way they treated you, would you be would you be okay in giving us like who would who would be your all star three? Wow, you know it's when people ask that it's hard to. It's hard to say. It's hard to narrow it down to three because you're going to leave people out. But, you know, for me, uh, Dale Murphy for sure. And he was at the end of his career, yeah. so he wasn't playing that well for the Phillies. But he's just such a quality human being. You know, I can't ever have one of these kind of questions without mentioning him. Uh, and he was only with us for a couple years. Uh, you know, Jimmy Rollins and I spent so many years together. We were very close, you know, we were, we understood each other. You know, I didn't hang out with him and go to lunch with him and all that sort of thing. But, you know, we, he respected me and I respected him and, 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 you know, we could have fun with each other, yeah. you know, uh, Chase is a little more serious and a little more quiet. So, you know, not, not, not that he's not a great guy, but. Just a different guy. Yep. Um, Roy Halladay, uh, again, a, another one that would have to be mentioned. Very professional. I don't recall him ever asking me for anything. Maybe, maybe a room or some tickets or, or something like that. But he, he took care of his own stuff pretty much, and and uh, you know he was. To himself a lot, but he was real serious about his craft, you know, and I really uh, enjoyed and appreciated watching a guy like that. Oh, you know? I mean, he's he was insane because my locker was right next to his. You always put me next to him during spring training. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he, he and I would talk. I don't even – it would just seem like it would be like an hour. It might have been only a half an hour, but – like the conversations I would have with that guy and the watch him work was yeah. fun. Well, shoot, we had to give him a key because nobody could beat him there. <laughs> but he was but, he was the guy that like uh uh you know that you you hear about back in the day like he had a key to the gym to get you know just yeah, to, to yeah. get off a thousand shots before everyone yeah. else. It was like he was the guy, but at a baseball field. Right, but you know. Uh, there's so many other guys. It's it's hard oh, to say three. Well, I, you know? I only say that. I only say that. Kyle Kendrick I, couldn't be a nicer guy than Kyle Kendrick. Yeah, you know? yeah no, Shane he's Victorino. a jerk. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> KK three eight. No, no, no. He, he, he's a jerk. But my my thing, the reason why I bring up like a three is I I think when when you go to like you know everyone has like those people in your life that that you just want you know like it would it would make the foursome right it'd be your your golf foursome. 
and that's that's basically why I do it. Is I, I, yeah. I like knowing that stuff. It's yeah. It's not always the stars, and that's the beauty yeah. of it because that I think is uh, you know the stars take care of you guys better financially at times than us, right? The 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 other guys. Yeah, and not always though. No, no, no. There are okay, there no. are some that don't. I I, I and, and I and trust me, I understand that. But it, it's easy to to go that route right right and, and i say that because i wanted to bring out truly what i know and what i know of you is it was never about that it was about how they treated you how they how your interactions were with the person and that is the beauty of it that was why i wanted to ask you that question because well i appreciate it's not that the normal it's not the normal answer i feel like you would get from guys because certain guys right you know like Phil, Phil wouldn't mind me sharing this, but like with Bryce, right? And and for all the money that Bryce makes and all that stuff, it's not about that. You know what he did for Phil? He got Phil this this special edition helmet, the Shamrock Series helmet from from the Notre Dame uh, football team from a couple of years ago that you can't get, even for a guy like Phil right. to work for him. Right. It was on his desk. The, yeah, the, it's pretty the, cool. The spring train, and you know what that 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 to me, I don't care the money part. That little gesture tells me everything about Bryce because Bryce knows Phil. And Phil, like, just the, he has it on the front of his desk. And you know what? It's the big talking, it's a talking story, right? It's the break the ice type story. It's like, this is the, this is amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, he took the time to get to know him. You know? It's not really that hard with Phil, though, because he wears everything Notre Dame. So, I mean, it's all good. No, but still, you know, <laughs> just to take a minute, you know, I, one year I worked uh, the all-star uh, postseason all-star series to Japan, yeah. MLB tour of Japan, and I was the equipment manager. It was in '98. So bonds. And, uh, he wasn't on that one. He wasn't on that okay. particular one. Sammy Sosa oh, Sammy was Sosa on there. McGuire. Yeah, McGuire didn't go, but Sosa did. But um, Jason Giambi, who I did not know at all, he was playing for the A's at that time. Yep. We were training to before we went to Japan. We were having training camp in uh, Disney World. That's where they had it for like four days. Uh, where we all gathered and, and, you know, trained, and then we flew out from there. The We had a meeting the first day, and then the next day, you know, the guys started coming to the ballpark to, for the workout. And he remembered my name and called me my by name that first morning and said hello to me. And that impressed me so much that he took the time to, mm -hmm. to care, mm -hmm. you know, and get to know my name, and and it was important to him, you know. Well, it did, again. It, it refers back to the like first couple of things that we were talking about. It's you're not just a figure in there; you're right. one of us. Yeah, and and that is, I feel like one of the hardest things for people to realize, especially young players, like your life is easier when you treat everyone at the same level. Because you're a big leader doesn't mean crap. No. It does in your paychecks, great. But it doesn't mean in personal interactions. Yeah. You know, some of the some of the nicer compliments I get are guys like, you know, a guy like Chris Coast, you know, or mm -hmm. or uh, uh, there's a minor league guy that we had in camp named Ryan Cameron, real nice guy, never made it to the big leagues, but was close a couple times. You know, and you know, the, the, just the way they say thanks or say, hey, you know, you you treated us like we were on the team when we were in, in, in spring training, you know. We, and um, as far as I'm concerned, if you're in there, you're on the team until the manager yeah. and GM tell us you're not. So that's how I used to look at it. And, and I tried to operate the clubhouse that way. Oh, I love it. I love it. How many, how many, how many guys did you ever get released in your career? <laughs> well there were some i tried to get released that i never had any success i got a guy signed but i could never get anybody released oh, i love it pat perry thanks you forever yeah, but all yeah those other guys we won't hey, those are all skeletons now
Yeah, we don't. We're not going to go. Okay, into all so here, here's the here's the one question I love to ask, uh, and it, it's a weird one because it, it's just based off of like my observations, right? This is an observation of uh, you know listening to people, watch you know watching what people um, you know either televise or you read about when it when it comes to to writings, but in your mind, who's more beloved? in the city of Philadelphia, the 08 team or the 93 team? Oh, that's pretty close. That's pretty close, but, the, you know, it's been a few years now for the 93 team, and, you know, there's another generation of yeah. people that weren't alive then, you know, that, that like baseball and follow it. Um, well, I'm going to say 08 because in the end, you know, we, we won the world series and the 93 guys fell a little bit short and, you know, I got something, uh, I, I want to get this in there because, um, I have the distinction of, of having Andy McPhail and Pat Gillick were both my bosses. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I have the distinction of having lost a world series to each of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> the Cardinals in '87, when McPhail was the GM of the Twins, yep. and the Phillies in '93, when Pat was with Toronto. That's unbelievable. But but <laughs> yeah, that's so that's what we all have in common. But I'd say the '08 guys, and and you know, I think that if you have to prove it, if the science, if you need science to prove it, look at the ovations Chase Utley oh, got yeah. when he came back here. Well, on another team, and not not well, just his first at bat for three all days. Weekend, <laughs> even the second year. Right. I mean, that's unheard of no, anywhere. I I agree. It, it, it's just I I ask that question because I feel like when when it comes down to it though, uh, I I ask it because the '93 team was a team of the city for the city. Like they were out, they were doing things. Yeah. I mean, before cell phones and everything. Mm-hmm. You're doing anything and everything. We all get it. But people related to him. And now we're getting away from almost that relation part with fan and player. That That's why I asked the question is because, you know, it, it, it was a, a team of characters. Uh, you had leadership on there with Dutch, obviously, um, and Larry Anderson. But then you get the, 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 the guys of Jimmy Rollins and, and Chase and Ryan, uh, I mean, Burles, you, you, you get the Jason worse in there. And then you had the older guys that were, you know, there in Matt stairs, Jeff Jenkins, you know, and all this stuff that like just coincided with the young guys and, and KK and Jay half uh, Cole Hamels. You're going, damn, you can understand. It's like at times, do you, ever, I'm not saying, do you ever wish you can go back, but like you put certain teams in certain years back before the social media part. And you're like, that would have been fun. Yeah, no, it, it, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. But, you know, it's – you can't go back. No, everything no, no, cert, no. You it, know, it, everything changes. Like, like certain teams in certain generations, you're like, come on, that, that team would have been so much fun just without – you know, because Ryan, Ryan Sandberg would always tell a story – not the same story, but he would tell a story. Uh, he and I would always talk, and, and it was about, like, we used to go – 18 deep out to a bar after a game. Yeah. It would take two hours for that place to fill up. And he goes, by that time we're out, you know, because you, you make a phone call and then people play telephone. Oh, the cub guys are here. It wasn't like now you just text like a, a billion people and, and tell All everyone right. that, that you're there. And he goes, that's what I miss because staying in the clubhouse is great. Having a beer, talking about the game. Great. But what happens when you go out 18, 20 guys deep and you're like, this is, this is a team, you know? Yeah, that's right. And so th- th- that's why I wish I played during that time because I, I, I love, I mean, you know me, like I love the game. I want to talk the game all the time and being able to sit around and, and do stuff. That would have been the best. I'm the annoying guy at the thing. Like, dude, you know what happened at the game tonight? So like that two, two pitch totally saw it. Flash Gordon just got me like complete. Like it was, it was amazing. Like I love going back on games and, and talking about it, what I learned and, and everything. Yeah, I get that. Speaking of uh, Sandberg, uh, you know, I'll never forget when we went to Wrigley Field, Uh he was the manager, 
And that scene by the bus, when we were pulling away from the ballpark, I mean, literally thousands of people, more or less blocking the bus, all of them had on Sandberg shirts and waving and stuff. I I mean, it was like being with, uh, uh, I don't know, you know, Bono and U2 or something. You know what's crazy is is the thing during the time that he was there, in Chicago playing was during the rise and, and everything of the last dance of Michael Jordan, right? Yeah. Both wore 23. Yeah. I never thought about that, but right. you're right. I, I, find, <clears throat> I always tell, I always tell Ryan, I was like, dude, who wore it first? You know? And he's like, I see you. I see you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's, there's so many things. I mean, look, Frank, I appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I love getting off stories about, you know, players and, and your time and, uh, no, thank show you. you appreciation because I love you and I don't need to have you on a show to tell you that. So uh, I appreciate that feelings mutual and we could talk all day, but there's just not enough room on your recorder for that. No, there's not <laughs> uh, because you know, it's a, it's a little handheld computer. Yeah. We like to call a laptop. Not yeah. in space. Yeah. There's no tape anymore. <laughs> See, you can tell them from a different era. <laughs> oh man before computers you were writing everything down yeah i still write it down i got a list of stuff to do and one of the things on the list is go pull weed so i got to get out there and do it oh man you know what the best part is i held i i delayed it for a little bit for you so i'm i i feel like i made your day a little bit easier oh you have no idea how happy i was about that <laughs> <laughs> well frank thank I you very you much coming on and uh, till I see you, uh, hopefully soon. Um, thanks. Yeah, same here. I hope to be hearing you soon in the in the on the radio. Oh, I, All right, buddy. There he is, my friend Frank Kopenbarger. Um, I seriously, we could go on for hours. This guy's got so many stories. Uh, we try to condense it down right now. Maybe there'll be a part two of Frank Kopenbarger, but this episode of Pine Tar for Breakfast was brought to you by Campos Deli, the best cheesesteaks in Philadelphia. I cannot wait to get another one of them. Oh, just a thought right now. But until then, Frank, I appreciate him coming on. I appreciate you, the fan, for listening to Pine Tar for Breakfast. Until next time, peace.